following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. A couple of weeks ago, well, a couple of months ago actually now, um, we had sickness run through our house just as many of you have had sickness run through your houses over the last uh, couple of months. Um, but during this sickness, I, got, I had a cough and and uh, never felt terrible, but, but had that cough where you'd kind of wake up in the middle of the night and hack a little bit. And so, so that Aaron could sleep, I got up and went out and slept on the couch um, so I could kind of prop myself up a little bit. I could sit a little more upright. And if I started hacking, I could just keep hacking and not have to worry about waking her up. So I go out in the, the living room. I lay down on the couch. I, I fall asleep. And it must have been about three in the morning. I, I just had this, this sense, like you ever feel like there's just something not right, right? And so I wake up, and before I even opened my eyes, I knew there was something. And if you know when you feel like something's not right, and I felt like what was not right was just getting closer and closer, and your, your reaction, your gut reaction, you get that fight or flight thing that kicks in. And what you want to do is, is kind of lash out and, and, and maybe, you know, try to slap whatever it is. Like, I, I'm not sure, is this maybe a, an intruder, right? Or is it something, something worse than that? And, and what you want to do is push away or just, just kind of strike. And, and if you know those situations, again, there's lots of things that go through your head in that split second, Right? So I'm like, what do I, what do I do? And I kind of calm myself, so I didn't reach out and strike, but I kind of opened an eye and looked, and there's a child about this far from my face. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't punch or push, because I would have hit Hayden right in the face. I didn't know it was my child. I just knew there was a, a presence standing over me, breathing on my face. See, presence is a big deal. And sometimes presence is more of a tangible thing. You know the presence of maybe a friend who's stood by you in a time of, of mourning or deep sorrow. Or maybe it's the presence of a, a parent or a mentor or somebody who guides you through life with words of, of wisdom, of godly wisdom. Sometimes presence isn't necessarily even that tangible. It's, it's sometimes that maybe that person in your past who hurts you and you haven't figured out how to let go or forgive. And so the way they treated you, that presence remains in your life and continues to, to push you in certain directions. But whatever it is, whatever role presence takes, it, it's important. It's a big deal. And we know, too, that the presence of God is an important subject. In fact, it's far too great a subject for us to talk about today. E even just my original draft of this message would have been about an hour and a half long. There's just way too much to talk about in God's presence. But what we can do today and what we're going to attempt to do today is to discuss the, the relation of God's presence to the Christmas story. 
So we're going to ask the question, what do we learn about the presence of God through the Christmas story? To do this, we're going to start back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to look at the the second half of verse 2. So let me read Genesis 1, 1 through 2 for you. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And here's the second half of verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. All right, God creates the heavens and the earth, but without his intervention that we're going to see in the rest of chapter 1, this heavens and the earth is left in dark, darkness, emptiness, this formlessness, this meaninglessness. But the second half of verse 2 tells us that even with the heavens and the earth in that state, God's presence was still there. His spirit hovered over the expanse, hovered over the waters. And again, Genesis 1 is not a scientific notation of how God worked in creation. Instead, it's a statement about God's power, God's authority, and God's presence. Last week, we discussed how our lives apart from God were like that dark, empty, meaningless state of creation before God's intervention. Today, in the second half of verse 2, we are reminded that God's presence remains with his people, regardless of the state in which they find themselves. In doing so, we're going we're gonna to run across three truths. And the first is this. Three truths for us to remember. Number one, we were made to dwell with God. We were made to dwell with God. In John chapter one, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if you remember back to the beginning of John 1, 1, the word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. We were created to live in unity with God. And we broke that unity. Sin broke that unity. In order to heal that brokenness, John 1 verse 14 says that the word, right, God, Jesus, became flesh, was born into human creation, and dwelled among us. There's a significance that happens when it says, and dwelled among us. Why is that so significant? Well, let's look at this, this word. And right, it says, he dwelled. Some of your translations may say, he took up residence among us. Um, if you have Maybe an older translation, it may say, he tabernacled, right? The word here, dwelled, is, is literally tabernacled. Like it's from, from the word tabernacle, the, the Greek word meaning tent or tabernacle. See, after Adam and Eve sinned, God still came to be with his people. He still tabernacled with his people. In Exodus chapter 33, we get the, the story of Moses meeting with God and speaking with God. In Exodus 33, verse 9, it says, When Moses entered the tent, okay, stop there for a second. 
to understand this, we have to understand what the tent is. The tent is the tent of meeting. Right? It was placed outside of the camp of the Jewish people when they were in the Exodus. And Moses would go outside of the camp and go into this tent and meet with the Lord. So it says, when Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and remain on the entrance to the tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses. Verse 11 says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. This tent of meeting, which, which by the way, would become the, the precursor to the tabernacle, which was the, would eventually become the temple the place where God meets with his people. At this tent of meeting, God would speak face to face with Moses. Let me ask you a quick question. Does Moses deserve to speak face to face with God? The answer is no. God chose to use Moses. Moses is not some special person of some unique holiness in the history of mankind. God speaks to him. Why? Because God brings his presence to Moses. The pillar of cloud comes and covers the entrance. This is God's presence coming down. See, even after sin had separated mankind from God, the fact remains that God would bring his presence to his people. We were created to dwell with him and his desire is for us to live within our created purpose. To dwell with his presence to be with him. One of the, the, the crazy things that's happened in the last several years, I don't know when this change happened, but if you go to the dictionary and you look up the word literally, anybody know where I'm going with this? The word literally, which means it is in fact exactly this. This is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. This is literally what happened. If you go to the dictionary and look up the word literally, one of the glosses in the dictionary of the English language literally will say something like this. In effect, virtually. That is the exact opposite of literally. But the dictionary says literally can mean in effect. And in fact, the sentence that it gives you to know the context and how this might be applied will say something along the lines of, he will literally turn the world upside down. Literally means he would actually take the world and turn it upside down. No. But what happened? The word was so badly abused, misused, and mangled that even the dictionary gave up trying to keep it straight. In a similar way, you and I were made to dwell with God and we so badly abused, misused, and mangled that truth that even we as human beings hardly recognize the reality of that statement. See, it was our sin, not some shortcoming of God's that separates us from him. We talked about this two weeks ago. Isaiah 59, verse one and two says, your iniquities are separating you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you. But sin not only separates us from God, it leaves a void in our souls. Without his presence, we are not living our perfectly created state and we will always feel some peculiar emptiness in our lives. So aren't we grateful that our God 
even though we so badly misused, abused, and mangled his presence, our call to dwell with him, aren't we grateful that he doesn't act like the dictionary and go, okay, just do what you want to do. We'll have to be okay with it. But instead, he continues to make himself available to us. And he says, listen, you, you can know joy and hope and satisfaction, but only if you understand that you were made to dwell with me. We will only ever know that joy, that hope, that satisfaction when we dwell with him. That's why no raise will ever be enough. That's why no success will ever be substantial enough. That's why no relationship will ever be fulfilling enough. That's why no social acceptance will ever satiate our desire to truly be loved. That's why no promotion, no vacation, no toy, no accomplishment, nothing will ever satisfy us truly and completely because what we need is not more stuff. What we need is the presence of God. And what we need is to rest in him, to dwell to tabernacle, to meet with him where he can speak to us. So the question is, where do we seek completion in our lives? Where do we turn to try to feel whole, to try to feel satisfied, to try to fulfill that peculiar emptiness that we sometimes feel? See, we were created to dwell in the presence of God. And as we've said, we are fortunate then to realize not only were we made to dwell in the presence of God, but we see the second truth, that we are made to dwell in the presence of God, and this is made possible because God's Spirit provided our connection. God's Spirit provided our connection. Again, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, right? Even in that darkness, God doesn't turn away from his creation. His spirit hovers over the waters. His spirit maintains his connection with his creation. And even after sin enters the picture, God continues through his spirit to maintain his connection with his creation. In 1 Samuel 13 verse 16, King David is anointed. And you remember the story of King David being anointed. Samuel comes and says, hey, God sent me to anoint a new king. He goes to David's father and he's like, okay, yeah, I got, I got some sons who are pretty good. These guys will be, these guys can do the job. So he calls them one by one and the sons come. And God tells Samuel, not him. 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 Finally, Samuel's like, okay, so uh, I've been through all your sons. Are you, you sure this is it? And his dad goes, well, there's, there's David. Surely you weren't looking for David. Well, okay, send for David, right? Samuel says, go get him. So David comes, and God says, this is, this is the one. And in Samuel 13, verse 16, it says, or 16, 13, excuse me. It says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. How does God work in and through David? By David's power? 
David's strength, David's wisdom, David's skill. David had a lot of skills. He was a musician. He was a hunter. He was a leader. None of that mattered. How does God work in David? Because his spirit came powerfully on David. It's God's spirit. It's God's connection. God working in and through David. God's spirit rests on him. This is how God leads his people. This is how God brings victory to Israel. Not through David's power, but through his power resting on David. The spirit of God is also how, how God connects to his people through, through the rest of these, the Old Testament. We see this happen through, through the tabernacle, right? Moses met with God in the tent of meeting. And then God gives him instructions to build the tabernacle, this place where God would meet with the people. And eventually Solomon builds the temple, the place where God's spirit would live, would engage, would lead, would accept worship from his people. God does this as well through the prophets, right? The prophets don't speak their own wisdom, don't speak their own message. It is God's spirit working in them and through them to be spirit-filled messengers, who reveal God's nature and God's commands to his people, keeping them connected to the glory and the majesty of who God is. Whether we look at, at David or the tabernacle or the temple or the prophets, we, what we see here is we get this glimpse of God remaining connected to his people. We get a picture of God's relentless love of his children. Because remember, through all these stories where God's Spirit provided that connection to his people. Israel was rebellious, constantly turning away from God, constantly rejecting his connection to them. But by his loving grace and mercy, his spirit, as he showed up in the lives of individuals in the tabernacle and temple through his prophets, God continued to show them his grace, his mercy, his patience, his love for his people. That connection is made because God sends his spirit to connect. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you and I enjoy that same connection today because we are filled with the Holy Spirit to provide a real and tangible connection to our God and to his presence. See, the Holy Spirit, if we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And this is not some temporary empowerment like the Spirit for David. It's a permanent residence of God's spirit in our lives. This is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives where? In you. Uh, where's the wiggle room there? Where does he say, listen, but if you do enough nice stuff, like just be really nice to everybody and maybe, maybe God will empower you to, maybe God will... Uh, maybe he'll connect to you, right? Maybe if you're, maybe if you learn enough Bible verses, maybe if your language is just right, maybe if you dress right, maybe if your ministry is just good enough, 
God will, you know, connect with you somehow. I don't know, maybe. No, he says, listen, believer, those who confess the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you. He dwells with you by the power of his Spirit. He dwells with you. You ever get a tingle on the back of your neck when you're singing a song or or reading some truth or having a conversation where you see God at work? You ever get that tingle on the back of your neck? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit illuminating in your heart and your mind the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. You ever pray and then see this unbelievable answer to prayer? Like God does this thing that you're like, I know I prayed it, but I wasn't sure this was possible. You ever have that happen? That's the Holy Spirit's power working. That's not because you prayed the right words or because you are somehow this incredible person who can make God do whatever you want him to do. That's the Holy Spirit's power at work. You ever felt like God called you to some some weird, difficult thing? Like God says, hey, go, go tell that person that I love them. You're like, I've never talked to that person in my life. You ever got to tell you something weird like that? Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit calling you to set aside what you think is best, what you think is right, what you think makes sense, and trust the Lord. I love the way that this, this happens in, in Acts chapter 20. When Paul writes, I am now on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there. You remember what happens when he gets, gets there? He gets arrested. The people around him were like, hey, don't go. Don't do this. Don't go. He's compelled by the Spirit. I had to go. He was called to a weird, crazy thing. The Holy Spirit was working in him and through him. This is not some some fairy tale or some divine dream that you can have that God's presence is active and visible in our lives, right? This isn't some made-up story that ages and ages of Christians have pressed in going, man, maybe this will make Christianity sound appealing to people. We might not be able to touch or feel the, the Holy Spirit with our hands, but there is no mistaking if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we trust him, there's no mistaking that he is at work in us and through us. Most of you can point to many times, places, or situations in your lives where you look at it and you go, that didn't make sense, but God did it, right? I don't know how that worked, but God did something amazing. I don't know how we got through this, but we trusted the Lord and we came out on the other side. God stays connected to you and me through his Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Even in our broken state, even at our worst, God doesn't walk away from us. He continues to love us and continues to provide that connection for us to him through his Spirit. Listen, if we've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, Do we recognize the Holy Spirit's work? 
Do we recognize that he is moving and working in our lives and the lives of those around us? We were made to dwell with God. And even though his spirit offers that possibility, our sin sometimes continues to put that roadblock between us and him. And so we rejoice in this third truth, that Jesus reunites us through his presence. Jesus reunites us through his presence. Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 4 and 5 are, are maybe my favorite non-Christmas Christmas verses. Um, because they're not really meant to tell us the Christmas story, but I think they are such a beautiful telling of the Christmas story. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, we read, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I love the, the conversation of when the time came to completion and what that means. We can talk about that some other time. We don't have time to get into that this morning. What I want to focus on this morning is, is the end of this verse. Why did Jesus come at just the right time? at the completion of time? Why did he come when God said, this is when you're gonna come? Why was Jesus born of a virgin and born under the law? To redeem those under the law. Who are those under the law? That's you and me. That's mankind trying to make ourselves good enough for a holy and perfect God, a job we are not equipped to do and will never successfully achieve. He came to redeem us. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are welcomed into God's family once and for all at this perfect time. If, you've, if you remember the, the, the coming of Christ, what we would call the beginning of the New Testament. You think back to the Old Testament. You know when the last prophets of the Old Testament wrote were active in among the Israelites? About 400 years before Jesus. 400 years. They, the scholars call it the, the silent years, right? Or the intertestamental period, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years where God did not reveal himself to his people. Does 400 years sound familiar to anybody? Like think about the whole picture, the whole story of scripture. Is there anywhere else where we find 400 years of something? Prior to the Exodus, the Israelites in captivity enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Why does God give 400 years before the time came to completion for Jesus to come and, and redeem us as sons and daughters in his family? It's not coincidence. 
God's reminding us that just as his presence led the Israelites out of Egypt, his presence in a a, a cloud, a smoke, and a pillar of fire, he led the Israelites to freedom, brought them out of the darkness of slavery and captivity into the freedom in the land he had promised them. So too, after this 400 years of silence, was he gonna bring his people out of darkness in captivity, his presence in Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law. He was going to bring freedom and hope and joy. Isaiah said the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. See, without Jesus' entrance into the realm of humanity, after that 400 years of darkness, we would never find our way out of the darkness and the oppression of our own sin. It took the presence of God entering into humanity. We're going to talk more about that next week. But it's important to us because most of us realize that the Old Testament sacrificial system, the way that that the people before Jesus tried to make themselves holy, tried to get to God, tried to fix what was broken, in that disconnect between them and the Lord, most of us realize that 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 sacrificial system was a temporary band-aid to the disconnect between the perfect holy God and an imperfect unholy people, right? It was like duct tape or WD-40. It fixes almost everything for a little while, but eventually that falls apart. Sacrifices were made repeatedly to remove sin stains that nearly instantly reappeared. But when Jesus came at the completion of time, after 400 years, when he gave his perfect holy blood in place of the imperfect sacrifices of animals, He brought the full and complete redemption and offered a perfect reunion of man and God's holy presence. Because Jesus' perfect sacrifice met a perfect God where our imperfect lives never could. Again, this isn't a temporary band-aid like the sacrificial system. We talk about Matthew 28 all the time. We talk about Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? The Great Commission. God's last commands to his disciples. What's he he tell his followers? He says, okay, now go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey my commands, right? That's his last instruction. What's he say next? Then he says this. And remember... Don't forget this. While you're going, making disciples, baptizing, teaching them to obey my commands. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I have perfectly restored your connection to the Father. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will never slip from my hand. You will never be powerful enough to run from my presence. 
presence of Jesus Christ perfectly unites us with our good, holy, and perfect Father. What presence do we seek in our lives? Where do we look to fix what we know is broken? Are we still trying to be good enough? Are we still trying to make ourselves look like somebody God would want? I'm not saying we can go do whatever we want. We don't have to worry about anything. But the point is, when we are looking for that healing of what we have broken, are we trying to do it? Do we allow the presence of Jesus Christ to accomplish what we could not? We were created to dwell in God's presence. Remember in the Garden of Eden, we did just that. Adam and Eve lived perfectly in God's presence. And then sin separated them and separates us from the perfect, holy, life-giving, peace-filled, holy, satisfying presence of our Creator. And yet in spite of our sin, God continued to pursue us and avail himself to us. And we continued to reject him. Then when the fullness of time had come, God made his presence undeniable through the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the reign of his son, Jesus Christ. By the person and work of our Savior, we are redeemed from sin and death once and for all, not because of what we can do, not because of what we deserve, but because of who he is, what he has done, and what he deserves. And he has offered us salvation that we could never deserve and could never earn. This Christmas season, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb who came to take away the sins of the world, may we do so with great joy. May we do so in celebration, in recognition of the fact that Jesus is the holiness of God, the perfection of God breaking into human existence, setting right what we have made wrong. And may we celebrate the birth of Jesus with an incredible sense of relief because it's no longer about us. It's simply about him. That should be the most massive weight you have ever had lifted from your shoulders because Jesus has taken care of it and he loves you. And he's offered his presence to you to know him and love him and serve him. Church family, may we not lose sight of the eternal glory of our God in the midst of the lights and the decorations of the celebrations of this time of year. Let us rejoice in the glory of God's presence come down to offer peace and joy and hope and salvation to his children. The offer of peace and joy and hope and salvation to you and to me. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. 
We thank you for the joy and hope that we have in your salvation. And we thank you for your presence. We know that from the beginning you called us into your presence to know you, to love you, to serve you, to enjoy life with you. And we know that it's our sin that broke that perfect unity. But Father, this Christmas season, we just praise you and and fall to our knees in gratitude that you did not leave us in, in the state that we created. Instead, you continued to pursue us. You've continued to love us and loved us to the point of sending your son to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, to rise victoriously, that we might be delivered completely through your presence, through your sacrifice, and in your kingdom. Lord, we love you. We praise you, and in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.